You're listening to Shenanigans, the podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the next installment of the Shenanigans podcast. Uh, This would be episode number two. And thank you very much for anyone listening, uh, especially if you're listening you know, pretty close up to when I've released the episode. Uh, it's very much appreciated at the very early stages of this uh, podcasting journey that I've decided to embark on. Uh, I'm going to be leaning on you listeners as inspiration to hopefully keep this going regularly. Um, I just need some motivation to keep it going. Don't want this to be one of my old side projects that gets only uh, a couple of weeks of attention and then fades away. So... Keep, keep me going. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, very exciting news since the first episode. Uh, we have managed to get the podcast on Spotify and now iTunes, as I've just discovered 10 minutes ago. So if you type in shenanigans in either of those two applications uh, or websites, my podcast will show. So that's very, very exciting. Um, so keen to start getting more content on there as well. Um, and please feel free, if you're listening, feel free to share it, pass it on to people um, if you think it's in- entertaining or interesting. Because, um, you know, it's kind of uh, in the eye or the ear of the beholder in this case. So, yeah, feel free to share. And uh, we've also got the socials up online now. So, we've got an Instagram, a Twitter, and a Facebook. So, um, for Instagram, it is uh, oh, Instagram and Facebook, it is both Shenanigans Podcast, one word. Um, so, that's Shane Anigans. Um, and we've got the Twitter set up, which I'm going to be very honest with you. Twitter is not something that I've very much been engaged in in the past, but um, we're going to make an effort assuming this podcast gets any kind of traction. So that is a shenanigans underscore AU because sadly someone took shenanigans, but that's okay. Um, I can't expect to have the name for everything. So yeah, uh, feel free to check out the socials. I think I'm just for the moment going to be posting just the regular updates of when episodes are going online. So if you follow those, um, those particular socials, uh, Hopefully, they'll get you some information sooner than later. Um, unless you're someone who listens to podcasts regularly, then hopefully you'll just see the updates as they come. Uh, now, this particular topic that we're going to go through today is mental health um, or mental health and wellness. Um, it's kind of a twofold approach. So, it's not the lightest of topics, but we'll get there in the end in terms of uh, the light of the end of the tunnel. We'll uh, we'll kind of talk about some uh, some tips to kind of promote your wellness and uh, um, help that well-being kind of uh, foster and... Um, grow um now i'm not sure if you can actually hear this but my obnoxious neighbor is playing music very very loud granted it's only eight o'clock at night but still not sure if that's going to peel through the uh the audio but anyway i digress so um yeah and this is a very it's a very important topic to me specifically a just because of i guess my little um sort of experience with mental health over the years but i think just at this particular time of where we're at in the world um we're currently in the um middle of the may uh, middle of month of may and uh covid19 has obviously ravished the world in different ways um some worse in some places than others obviously um you know my heart goes out to anywhere that's had really bad uh experiences with it um we're very fortunate in australia whilst it's not fortunate that people have died but it's it's a saving grace that it hasn't hit as hard here as it has in other countries so um you know we 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 should really count ourselves those of us that are still healthy and well and haven't had this experience of um anybody in our lives being affected by it um you know we're very lucky to to be able to say that so um but either way um the covid situation i'm I'm sure far and away for everyone in some case has a potential to to have an impact on people's mental health so i thought this would be a good time to really talk about it and um i guess just go through my own experiences but also just um talk about things that i've kind of researched in the past and just things that work for me in terms of how to help fight mental health concerns or problems um 
and just ways to kind of help prevent, not prevent, but kind of safeguard against the potential for things to flare up. So um, now by no means, and this is a disclaimer, no means I'm an expert in this area. Um, whilst I am studying a diploma of counselling and whilst I've you know been very in tune with this sort of stuff um, and done research and stuff, I'm not exactly an expert. So please, anything I suggest, take it with a grain of salt. Obviously, do your own research, speak to your own professionals and connections. Um, but Either way, I think most of what I'm going to be talking about is not going to be too detrimental anyway, so I don't think it's going to cause any problems if you do follow some of the advice anyway. And so on that note, on to the next segment. My personal mental health story, for the most part, revolves around anxiety. That'd probably be the biggest way that I've had a connection to mental health, at least through my own personal experience. I've been very fortunate that I haven't been ever, you know, so um, afflicted by anything like depression or anything like that, though anxiety is definitely a bitch. So, um, for anyone that deals with it themselves can probably attest to this, but anxiety has come through in my life in various forms. It's never just been the one thing. It could be, you know, a, a really problematic relationship situation that's creating anxiety constantly. It could be dealing with particular people who, for whatever reason, create that reaction in me, work situations. And I mean, thankfully, not so badly in the last few years, but, um, you know, there's definitely been some times and I'll admit there's definitely been some anxiety at the moment when it comes to COVID, um, just kind of coming out of isolation and, um, you know, returning to the world and Let's just say I definitely was not ready um, and I still feel after quite a few days of doing it so far um, of this week, I still don't feel fully equipped, but that's a different story. But I guess the biggest way that anxiety has really caused problems for me has been through actually a phobia, um, which I uh, refer to in the uh, show notes. But um, I've had a crippling phobia um, for many a year, traces all the way back through childhood of vomit. So, um, throwing up, vomit, all that sort of stuff. So, that is my main phobia. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm scared of spiders and I'm not keen on certain things like the idea of being trapped and buried alive or, you know, trapped in small spaces and stuff. But vomit is definitely the phobia that affects me regularly in, in terms of, and I'll definitely unpack that a little bit more for those that are kind of curious as to what, what how bad this kind of gets for me. And the other way I kind of deal with anxiety or have broached anxiety in the past is, I'm very much a empathic personality where I tend to wear the energy of those around me. So, those who know me well would assume, or those that know me pretty well, I should say, would assume that because I don't shut up and because I can turn it on and because I you know, work in a training role and I've always worked in people-facing roles, a lot of people will mistake that for being an extrovert and being very high energy and being very- you know, um, on the pace every single time, which is actually quite the opposite of how I really am. Um, and that's not to say that they don't know me. It's just a, I present differently sometimes, I guess, depending on the energy that I'm around. So I'm actually really introverted for the most part, which um, I think why the podcast is really helpful is that it's not a social element. Like, yes, I'm talking to you listeners and yes, there's going to be engagement hopefully at some point, but it's not constantly in the face of people. It's not the, um, it's not, um, you know, having to front up at a, you know, a big giant seminar or anything like that. Like it's, it feels very personal. It feels very engaged and connected with people in a different way. So I think this is going to be a great way for me to, to kind of get out there and kind of embrace social aspects in a different way. So, yeah, so I can definitely wear the energy of others. So if I'm in a group of really energetic people, I'll wear that energetic energy and I'll be very up there and people think I'm the life of the party. 
But if I'm in a group of people that are much more toned and chill and reserved, I'll wear that energy as well. But then my base level is really chill, quiet, stay at home, homebody hermit, needs to recharge after every day. Like I come home from a day of work with, you know, the training that I do, the phone calls that I do, all that kind of stuff. I need to recharge on a daily. Like it's it's legitimately a proper recharge session. So these podcasts kind of fit into that time. And so if somebody else is extremely anxious, uh, chances are if I'm around them long enough and I'm gauging that from them, uh, I'm probably going to end up anxious as well. And it actually has happened unofficially, um, unintentionally, or it's generally unintentional, but it's happened in ways where I wouldn't have even realized that person was anxious at the time. um, And I'm feeling it, not wondering, not knowing why I'm feeling anxious because there's no reason to be. Um, So whether it's an ex-partner or a really close friend at the time, whatever it might be, um, they're just naturally anxious people. And therefore I wear that anxiety. So that has happened quite a lot as well. But Onto the vomit phobia, because I'm sure people are wondering what the hell and how bad has this actually gotten. So, my vomit phobia, as I said, um, I can recall very early age, um, always having fear of it, worries about it, whether it's because I've done it in front of people before, I don't know. Um, I can recall some stories. But um, the way that it kind of surfaces for me or manifests is if someone... Well, we'll talk about other people first. If other people are telling me that they are feeling queasy, if they've not felt well, if they tell me in the past that they usually, when they get a cold or a flu, probably end up throwing up at some point or that, you know, if a migraine makes them throw up and then one day I hear them say, I've got a migraine or a migraine is starting, I naturally go into panic mode. So, every kind of survival instinct, every type of panic mode kicks into my body um, and my mind starts to just start to create scenarios of what's going to happen. So, it definitely takes over and it's unfortunately happened sometimes at work where I start to go in a really chaotic state. Um, hopefully I've hidden it well, but I don't know. Um, and it can be really problematic because whilst other people don't obviously enjoy the concept or don't like doing it or other people doing it around them or will be squeamish if it happens and potentially have a you know, be sympathetic to the, the motions and be sick themselves. For me, it goes about 10 steps ahead where, or 10 steps higher where, I go into full panic meltdown mode. My body just goes into complete anxiety. And if anybody knows the symptoms of anxiety or at least what triggers them for anxiety and gives them symptoms, for me, it's clammy skin, it's going pale, it's feeling faint, it's getting sweaty. It's all those things happen to me. The nauseousness kicks in or nausea, I don't know. Anyway, nausea, um, you know, I start to get the the, the watery mouth, like all those things happen for me. Um, And like I said, it has to just be the suggestion of it. Not even the suggestion, even the inference that something could happen and they might throw up, I'm going to feel a certain way. Um, It's probably the big reason why I don't drink a lot, actually. Um, A, because drinking a lot equates to drunkenness, which means potentially you throw up the next day or that night. Um, So there's that. But also drinking with people who potentially don't hold their alcohol well. So, um, I very much, when I've started a new relationship with anyone, any of the guys that I've kind of dated in the past, um, it's kind of a early stage checklist that I kind of do and suss out the kind of person they are when it comes to their social time. Are they somebody who is fond of heavy drinking? Are they someone who's likely to be in a situation where they're going to be so hungover that they might throw up? And I'm not going to lie. It has sometimes played a part on my interest in being with someone. Um, There has definitely been a couple of occasions in the past where I knew that person was very fond of, um, you know, heavy drink sessions. And look, power to you. Like, I'm not going to judge your lifestyle. Absolutely not. Um, But when it comes to the fact that I then wonder if I'm going to be in a situation of having to deal with that, um, 
it definitely plays on my mind. So, it's unfortunate, but look, to be honest, it hasn't debilitated my ability to be social and have fun and stuff like that. I just don't go to bars and clubs to the end of the night. Like, it's just something I don't do. But that also probably bleeds into my <laughs> um, introverted ways. So, either way, it, it's like I said, it's pretty annoying, but I wouldn't say it's, it's changed my quality of life. I wouldn't say or reduce my quality of life. Like, I still am a very happy person, but um, there's definitely a lot of stories where it's been triggered and I've been a bit of a mess. So it's been very, it's very, a very interesting affliction, um, the phobia, um, and the fact that it really triggers heavy anxiety as a result. So if you've ever known me in real life, um, if you know me in person and you've ever cited that you're not feeling 100% and I've ever gotten weird and not told you why, this is why. Um, so just be mindful of that if you ever interact with me again and you, you're thinking you're going to tell me you're going to be crazy. I mean, I'd rather know than not know because if you just suddenly threw up in front of me, I think I'd panic. Um, but yeah, anyway, so- the, the one story that I wanted to share, because I've got plenty and I'm sure I can fill them in another times if this ever comes up again. But the one story that I do like to tell, because it is humorous, and I think for people who have been told the story, they have a bit of a laugh at my expense. And I'm very much willing to share stories that were going to make you laugh at me. Um, I have no problem with that because um, I'm very much going to laugh at myself as well. So um, we're all about self-deprecation at this podcast. Um, so I went to Bali with my family I think about six years ago. I can't remember the exact um, the exact year, but um, it was about six years ago. And a group of six of us went um, from the family and, um, you know, had a good time. I mean, I still enjoyed most of the time that I was there. But um, unfortunately, which I didn't realize until I got back to Melbourne, uh, I actually had somehow copped a middle ear infection. Yep. And tonsillitis at the same time. So, it was a double whammy. And... I don't know um, if you know what middle ear infections do, but when I get them, um, I pretty much lose all sense of balance and stuff like that, especially when it's happened at home. Um, I lose all kinds of balance and, you know, it definitely triggers a lot of um, problematic symptoms. But in this case in Bali, the biggest symptom I got from it was um, I was getting vertigo. So we were getting in cars, we we're traveling from, you know, our hotel to some destination, whether we went to some, you know, nice beach location with a sunset or whatever, or a restaurant, because we were going to a lot of restaurants by taxis and stuff in Bali. And um, every time we'd get out, and I didn't know this at the time. So in Bali, I didn't know that this was happening because I've never had motion sickness. I've never had travel sickness at this point. Um, you know, I don't have a lot of sicknesses because my vomit phobia actually stops me from getting sick because I freak out so much that I do everything I can to avoid it. Um, so it was very rare. I don't throw up very often in my life. I think it's been about four times since I can remember. But anyway, um, and so, yeah, so we get to a, a, out of the cab and we'd go to a restaurant and the smell of the food plus my vertigo plus this, I start to feel really queasy at the table. And the first couple of times it happened, my family were a bit, you know, a bit concerned, obviously, because they were like, oh, what's going on? Why are you sick all of a sudden? And um, they thought maybe the food, they weren't, weren't sure. Like everybody was a bit surprised by it. Um, by the end of the trip, I think they're all very much over it. So, for if any of my family that went to that trip are on this, um, listening to this podcast, um, I apologize again. Um, it wasn't a nice time for me. Um, but anyway, so yeah, we'd go to a restaurant. I'd have to leave. Like I'd have to just get get away from the table, and I'd have to leave the venue. And thankfully, most of the places were walking distance somewhat. Like I mean, it would still take about forty minutes to walk, but it was still walking distance. Um, so, and I knew my way back. Like at that point, I'd already been on my second trip at that point. So um, to Bali, so I knew enough about the, the the streets and stuff to kind of make my way back to the hotel. Um, and I'd do that multiple times. I think there was at least a handful of times I'd end up going home on my own, and they'd just kind of be at the restaurant and finishing their dinner and stuff. Um, they'd volunteer to come back 
back with me. They didn't just leave me in the lurch. They always volunteered to help me, but I was like, you know what? I'm fine. I was an adult. You know, it wasn't like I, it was my first time. Um, but yeah, so anyway, the, the, the main part of this story is, um, that was happening on and off most days. Um, and the days that we didn't catch a cab, I was generally okay, but I still had a lot of other problems, um, that I was dealing with. And the last real bad um, side of it was going back home. So, um, again, not sure who has gone to Bali that's listening, but when you go to Bali and you come back from Bali, um, most of the time, a lot of people will kind of flock to the flights at the end of the night because they are the last, there's usually two, one or two flights at the end of the night that everyone flocks to, um, at least in my experience. And this has been a while since I've been, so it could be different now, but, um, and, we were getting the uh, the vans for the, the the local friends that we've got were taking us to the airport by you know their vans. So we got in the van. We're driving driving to the airport. I'm in a certain state at that point, but not too bad because um, again, didn't know I was getting motion sickness. Didn't know it was the cabs. I just assumed I was just unwell. Um, and so we got to the airport and we got to customs and we're standing in the customs line. And because I said, like I said, it's um everyone flocks to the airport at that time to get their last flights home for the night. There was a lot of people. So, we're in this line. There's people with surfboards. There's people with bags everywhere. We're a group of, you know, six. It's hot in the airport because they didn't have good ventilation, which, you know, you don't expect at a place like Bali, but either way. Um, so, we're already hot and sweaty. I'm feeling hot and sweaty, plus clammy, plus unwell, plus queasy, all the things in, in combined. So, I was a hot mess, let's just say, plus frizzy hair. And um, so, we're going through the customs line and I somehow got to the end of the customs line without, you know, full on freaking out. So, that was good. That was a good sign. Um, cause there's no turning back when you're trying to get to the airport to go home. And then we got to the gate and we're sitting at the gate and I'm starting to really panic cause I'm really feeling the edge of, it's the anxiety of going home on a night flight. Cause another story for another time, but I don't love flying on night flights where you have to sleep, but I'll come back to that later. Um, so it was the anxiety of going home on a flight home overnight. It was the anxiety of feeling a certain way already. And it was the worry of the vomit and everything else. So, Again, hot mess is something I will repeat again. So, we're sitting at the gate. We're actually sitting on the floor. We're just hanging out. I'm trying to drink water. I'm trying to, like, do things I can help. My sister and other members of the family are looking at me like, please, uh, hopefully you're okay, but please don't vomit sort of thing. Um, I just could see the look of trepidation in their eyes. And uh, I'm really panicking. Like, I remember actually smuggling a bottle of water with me onto the plane, um, and it was disgusting. It was already warm at that point because- being in a hot airport, um, but I hid it in my jumper because they weren't letting you take liquids on the plane, but I just needed it. Like, there was no way I was going to get by without it. Um, and I remember having a freak out moment before we even got to the plane, which there's a bigger freak out coming, I guarantee you. Um, I remember having a freak out at the gate and I remember looking at my auntie and my nan, um, who were the the two um, other elder people in the family that were with me. Um, and I remember looking at them both and just going, I can't get on that plane. <laughs> and they're looking at me like, I just did the stupidest thing in the world, which admittedly it was. And they're just like, you you have to get on the plane. And I'm like, I can't, I can't get on the plane. And I'm just looking at them and I'm in my head. This sounds rational for me because I'm freaking out. And they're probably thinking, what is he, what has he taken? Like, what is he doing? Anyway, so I'm trying to bargain with them, like why I can't get on the plane and how I'm going to stay at the airport and just try and fly the next morning. I'll just have to sleep at the airport or I'll try and get a hotel somewhere. And they're like, you can't do that. You have to come home with us. Like you've got a ticket. Anyway, so managed to not fight them on that one because I, I must have realized at some point that it started to sound crazy. And we um, we move on to the um, 
uh, to the next stage, which is processing to get out of the airport. So we're going out of the um, out of the gate. Now, at this particular time, I don't know what the airport in Bali is like these days, but at the time, um, there was a you'd go through the downstairs part of the gate, um, and then you would be taken by a shuttle bus to the plane. So you'd get on this um, shuttle, and it would progressively drive you over to the entrance of the plane, where you'd then walk up the stairs. We got on this bus and I don't know, maybe the cool air started to make me feel a bit better. I'm not sure. We got on this bus, crammed on. Now, because again, the number of people trying to go home at this time of night, going back to Melbourne or whichever connections they're going to, um, we all get on this bus and we were earlier in the piece. So we managed to cram on and end up at the back of this bus. So um, very similar to a, a suburban bus you'd see in Australia, like, you know, kind of same setup. Um, so we're at the back of the bus, but beyond the second door. So we're closer to the back than we are the door. And we're all holding on. And I remember pretty sure my nan, or it was my nan, because I remember talking to her. Um, we're holding on to the same bar kind of near the door. And I must have been just kind of looking around and just trying to focus and, you know, feel better. And I remember looking at um, the back door, like the door that I was nearby. And I remember looking at it and there's a woman standing facing the door, holding on, like, you know, just rocking it back and forth with the bus. And... To this day, I cannot tell you for sure what I saw was accurate or whether I was imagining it, but I looked over and all I can remember seeing is her hand jetting up to her face, like racing up to her mouth and her hand looking like she's cupping her mouth. Now, in that situation, me being the way I was feeling, plus my phobia and everything else, for me, it looked like she was about to close her, hold her mouth closed because she was going to throw up. Naturally, in that state, I freaked. So, <laughs> I'm still thinking about it as if... Oh, just honestly, it was like I took a crazy pill. But anyway, I um, I turn towards my nan and I'm starting to try and edge towards the further p- part of the back of the bus. And there's people everywhere. There's no way to move. Like it's basically shoulder to shoulder for the most part. Um, and in case of my nan, it's like head to shoulder because she's uh, much shorter than I am. And I'm trying to squeeze past everybody. And my nan's looking at me like, what are you doing, Shane? And I'm just like, that woman's going to throw up. That woman's about to throw up. And she's like, what woman? There's no one throwing up. And I'm like, near the door, near the door. And I'm trying to be subtle because, well, subtle as a, as a <laughs> it was just definitely not a subtle situation. Um, but I'm trying to be uh, discreet about it because I only want to talk to my nan about it. But everyone else can hear me talking. <laughs> and she's like, no one's going to throw up. Just calm down. And she's being supportive as much as she could. But enough was enough. Like, I mean, when you're dealing with someone who's going through a bit of a episode like that, it's, you don't really know how to react. And she wanted to go home. She was over it because we'd been chilling out all day trying to wait, um, you know, kill the time for the day anyway. So, somehow managed to get over that. And then we got off the plane. I got off the um, shuttle bus and she didn't throw up. So, again, maybe she wasn't actually. Maybe she was blowing her nose. Maybe she was sneezing. Who knows? Um, Poor woman. I mean, if I could ever talk to the woman and find out what actually happened. And we get on the plane. And I'm, again, uh, It's if you've ever seen one of those movies, um, like those sort of quintessential bad plane flight situations where the person's sitting in the chair, profusely sweating, panicking, all that kind of stuff. That was me. I'm sitting in the the, um, aisle chair of my particular row. Um, It was one of those planes that had three to each um, side of the aisle. And it was each of the six of us were in the same row. Um, so I'm on the aisle and I look to my right, I look to my left at different points and each of the family members of the other five looking at me as if to say, you better not throw up. And uh, especially because being a confined space and everything. And then, yeah, so the plane starts to take off. And if I've ever felt anxiety about flying, and I don't know if this is the same, same for everyone else, but if I've ever felt anxiety about the flight itself, it's the preparation of getting to the airport. It's the actual waiting. It's all that kind of anticipation that I freak out about. Once I'm on the plane and it starts to take off, I start to feel better. Like instantly, whatever feelings in my stomach are happening, whatever kind of tightness in breathing, whatever happens, that all starts to dissipate the minute we're on that angle taking off. Um, it must just be you kind of know, all right, you're in the air now. 
you're fine. I don't know. Don't know what it is. Because it's not a, a fear of um, the, the plane going down. It's nothing of that. I have no, I, I know I'm safe on a plane. Um, I know that it's a very safe way to travel. Um, so it's never been that. I'm definitely not a um, anxious flyer because of accidents and stuff like that. Anyway, so got through the whole flight fine. Like I was still uneasy. There was still like my stomach didn't feel great. And I still, you know, I had to do different things to kind of help myself feel better. But it was very much touch and go for a long time. And even when we landed and we we're going home in the taxi, even then I was still getting vertigo. So I was still feeling really crazy in the seat had to buy a cold bottle of water. But to, to top it all off, just to prove that, um, you know, the universe was against me in that moment, halfway through the flight, the woman behind me throws up. <laughs> so <laughs> thankfully it did not have an effect on me, but my sister and I both freaked out a little bit in that one. I remember her face when it started to happen. So that's my big funny story that I like to tell anyway. Hopefully you've had a bit of a laugh at my expense. So yeah, otherwise anxiety for the most part has been manageable. Um, but I guess in the next segment, I'm going to talk about really how I relieve my anxiety. Um, I've got a lot of different combinations that I kind of apply. Um, so yeah, we'll investigate that in the next segment. Hopefully you're still listening and with me during this journey. Um, so this segment, I'm going to kind of talk through how I kind of um, tackle anxiety. Um, it's never a surefire way. It's very much a what works in the moment. So I don't want to give people the impression that one thing's going to solve it every time, at least in my case. Um, you might have one thing that always works. And if that's the case, I'm so happy for you because honestly, um, I wish there was just one thing I could apply. Um, but for me, um, if I'm having an anxious moment, it doesn't have to be connected to the phobia or anything else that's going on. If it's just an anxious moment, which, you know, I admittedly had really anxious moments earlier this week when I had to start catching the trains again to come back to work. Um, just because, you know, obviously the fear of, you know, getting COVID-19, all the other things that come with it, um, and returning back to society, like I said, I wasn't prepared for. Um, so what I kind of do, I, I kind of appeal to my senses. There's there's three of the five senses that I kind of engage the most when I'm having an anxious moment. And I'll talk about them in a bit more detail, but the main one that I kind of engage is my sense of sound um, or hearing. Um, so what I tend to do, um, and I think a lot of people probably apply something like this when they're going through an anxious moment, um, but I'll just chuck in my earphones, whether it's my you know AirPods or whether it's a big set of headphones that blocks out the noise, whatever it is. I'll chuck those on um, and I'll just play something on my phone, music, whatever it is. And I'll go through a couple other music related things that I'll talk about. But, um, you know, whether it's pop music, um, you know, I've got a Kelly Clarkson podcast that I'll use, uh, not podcast, playlist that I'll, you know, play on repeat constantly because, you know, she's got some good bangers. So, um, you know, we'll just drown out to that because I really love her music, which I've mentioned before. And I'm going to try and throw subtle references to her every time. Um, yeah, it just kind of it distracts your mind. And I was actually talking to a counselor about this last week because I knew I was coming back to work. So I kind of needed some support. And um, I was talking to her about what was going on and was giving her kind of my self-aware approach of what I know I need to do. And was kind of just seeking validation that I was looking at the right things. And um, she was saying that, yeah, it's a lot of the time with anxiety, it's distracting yourself. It's because anxiety- from my understanding, and I'm not, again, an expert, and she didn't really go into the full explanation, but from my understanding of what I know anxiety to be for me, it's all in the mind. It's the mind's doing these things to you to kind of give you these um, outcomes and stuff. So, to distract your mind and to stop that racing brain of trying to think of every outcome of how something's going to go badly or whatever, distracting your brain is telling it, well, no, focus on this instead. Um, and there's a lot of how that kind of connects to mindfulness, which I'll talk about later on. 
So for me, the sound, it's the music. It's listening to the lyrics of the song. It's So if I'm listening to Kelly Clarkson or somebody, it's I listen to music where I know the lyrics. Um, it's a song that I'll know off by heart. Um, things from my 90s childhood or things from now that I know really well. Because for me to sing the lyrics in my head means that that's what I'm focusing on. So that's worked for me a lot. Um, and it helps in a lot of situations. I mean, to be honest, you can't do it in every environment. Um, for example, if I'm having an anxious moment at work and I'm about to go into a meeting, I can't really tell the meeting, sorry, can I just sit here and listen to my earphones while you're talking? So that's not going to work in that case, obviously. But otherwise, um, it's great because I can take my earphones with me, go to a bathroom, um, go to a change room, you know, go to a private area, put those earphones in, block out for 10 minutes, try and get my head in the right space, and then I can go back and do what I need to do. And I'm going to be very honest with you in work environments and up until even recently, um, I've sometimes had to do it multiple times a day. Um, sometimes I'll have to leave my desk for five, 10 minutes at a time, go and do it, get myself in a space so I can get through the next couple of hours of what I need to do urgently, and then go back and have my retreat. Um, and you know what? Sometimes you just have to do it. Um, you know, everybody else be damned. If you've got to do it and you can justifiably pull yourself away from a situation, um, I've had to do it and I'm not ashamed to admit that. Like, it's just, um, you got to take care of you at the end of the day. Um, obviously if you're responsible for something really urgent and you can't get away from it, it's going to be a bit hard, but when you can, if you've got to apply it, you've got to apply it. So that's the sense of hearing or the sense of sound. Um, the next sense that I engage, um, kind of this engagement of senses, um, the sense of taste. Um, so flavor, um, taste, you know, putting a, a lolly or, or like a sweet or something like that, or something that you like the taste of and, you know, try and eat that or taste that, that, that helps me sometimes. So, or quite a lot actually. Um, so funnily enough, connected to the original barley story that I told you before, um, unintentional connection. Um, when I came back from that trip and I was going through a lot of problems because of the, the medical ailments that I had, and I was getting a lot of stomach problems as a result. Um, my mum happened to just out of nowhere have, um, these lozenges that she was given, I think they're at work. I think where she worked at the time or where she works now, I can't remember. Um, she was given these lozenges as like a, a promotion thing or something like that. I think they were just given free packs of them. So she had heaps of them. And so she just gave them to me on a whim saying, do you want these? And I just put one in one day, just thinking it'd be good for my sore throat. Cause I was getting tonsillitis and sore throat and stuff. And they're the, um, Vicks brand, um, lemon menthol lozenges and they're available at like Priceline. And I think there's some other shops that sell them as well. Um, and I've always joked that they're my crack cocaine basically, um, ever since I started using them. So I just pop one of those into my mouth and it lasts for ages, unless you're chewing it. Like it lasts for ages cause it's a hard, um, hard lozenge and it's just in the shape of the usual, like, um, it's got like the V for Vixen on the, on the actual lozenge. But, um, and admittedly it's, probably nowadays more of a placebo effect, but at the time it might've just been the lemon flavor. It might've just been that there's something in it that was helping the menthol. I don't know, but it was helping curb some of my problems I was going through at the time. So it was helping the sore throat because it's a lozenge that's designed for that. Um, and it was helping my stomach sometimes as well. So nowadays I pop one of those in if I'm feeling anxious. Um, and it's just that thought, it's like that comforting thought of knowing that this in the past has helped me in different ways and it helps again. Um, sometimes not always. Um, but it's also word of note for anyone that's in a role where they have to talk a lot. Um, it's also really good when you have to do training and stuff. Cause it's not like a chewy where if you've got that in your mouth, it's a bit gross that you leave it in your mouth for a while. Like I can keep that to the side of my mouth. I can talk, talk, talk. No one would know any different. And it's just the flavor. It's keeping my throat, um, from getting dry. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah, they've been really great. So I buy them regularly. Like I think I've always got at least two packs spare in the house at all times, just in case. So, uh, if I'm going away or whatever it might be, um, 
or in the case of a shop like Priceline's closing down for periods of time, you've got them. Um, so yeah, they've definitely become my crack cocaine when it comes to some anxiety kind of um, relief. So the sense of taste, um, that's definitely something I've engaged and that you can do pretty much anywhere unless you have to talk at length and it's really awkward to keep a lolly in the side of your mouth. Um, there's very rarely a time where I can't get away with having those um, kind of with me. Um, the sense of smell. Um, this is one that I definitely have engaged quite a few times. Um, again, especially sometimes in the past, in recent past. Um, I know a lot of people have told me that this kind of helps them as well. Like it's kind of like aromatherapy. You, you'll put like a scent, um, have access to a scent nearby that comforts you, whether it's a cologne or a perfume that you like, um, whether it's essential oils, you know, burner or a diffuser or something like that. Um, for me, the one that's helped me the most recently, um, if you've ever seen at the chemist or any place that sells pharmaceutical goods, there's a th- product called the Migra Stick. It's a, um, it's a little like almost looks like a lip, uh, lip balm or a lip gloss sort of shape, um, little tube. And it's um, filled with peppermint oil usually, or this one, the Migra Stick brand is uh, peppermint oil and lavender oil, like a certain combination of both. Um, but you can buy just purely peppermint sticks. Like I remember I, got, I bought one from overseas once in Bali, actually, um, this trip that I went on, I'd bought a peppermint um, oil um, stick and that was where I got onto the idea. And for me personally, what I do with it, because they're really good for when you've got like a migraine or a cold or something like that. I tend to just, um, if it comes to a headache, I'll kind of dab a bit on my temples. But if it's coming to just like a, I need to distract myself with the scent or if I've got a cold and I want to unblock my nose, I just put a dot underneath each of my nostril openings, like just uh, just above the lip, but like just below the nostril. So I'll put two dots on uh, one on either side. Sometimes I rub it on a little bit more um, liberally. So that way there's a little bit more on there. Um, and then I'll put some on my wrists because especially if I'm on the train or something like that and I'm feeling really heightened in my anxiety, I'll tend to want to close my eyes, block out with the music, but I'll tend to put a little dab of the um, of the peppermint oil. I'll put that on my wrist and I'll kind of just lean my head into my palm. That way the wrist is pretty much right underneath my nose. That way I don't have to um, dab it on my nose and look strange on the train. And that way I'm getting the scent and it's not going to be off-putting for anybody else if it's on other areas of you know my face or anything like that. Um and that's helped a lot as well. So it does burn a little bit at first if you're not familiar with the peppermint oil, but um, not burn in a bad way, but just like it's quite a warm oil that kind of like connects to like your skin and stuff, but it works fine. It's, it's, it's been pretty good for me. So use at your own uh, discretion and caution, but for me, it's been fine. Um, so yeah, so they're the three major senses that I engage um, for that. The sense of sight in terms of like reading, I mean, reading can sometimes help me from getting distracted, uh, can help distract me. Like maybe I pick up a book and read something or I look at lyrics online or I read a comic or something like that. They do help sometimes, but I'd say out of the five senses, that's probably that and touch probably the two least engaged for me because, um, yeah, it, they don't really help as much as the other three do. And the other three I might use in combination. It doesn't always have to just be one. It could be one or multiple of each. Um, yeah, so there's that one. Um, for me, um, feeling warm helps a lot as well. So whether I get into a blanket, I'm wearing a nice jacket or a coat or something like that, get into the electric blanket in the bed, um, and having a hot shower um, or a bath, probably a hot shower more because the, the, the running water is more soothing to me. Um, so if I'm having a really heightened day, like last week when I knew I was going to have to start coming back into the office and stuff like that, um, and I was starting to feel really like, what am I going to do? I'm going to fade back to functioning normally again and trains and COVID and this and everything else. Um, I found myself actually finding, just get in the shower, have a second shower of the day, you know, just let that hot running water um, kind of soothe me. And I came out of it feeling a bit more energized and could get me through another few hours before I'd have another bit of an episode. So um, running water really works for me. 
Now, the last thing I'll kind of talk about before we go into the final segment is um, it's a phenomenon that's definitely seen a lot of um, traction and uh, kind of moving into the mainstream of um, kind of online material, um, especially in the last couple of years. But I've definitely been on it for the last year and a half or two. ASMR. So, if you've never heard of it, it's, um, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but it's autosensory meridian response. And I'm not going to go into an extreme detail in this particular episode, but I plan to do a full episode that just talks about it and kind of goes, explores and talks about what it kind of is. But the really general gist of it is um, it's the reference to the reaction that triggers for some people. Uh, not everyone. I don't know if there's like statistics on how many people get affected by it or not affected by it, but I'm definitely somebody who's uh, um, triggered by the ASMR response or gets that response. Um, so, it's things like tapping surfaces, whispering, listening to people whispering, um, whether it's a podcast or anything like that, whether it's um, watching someone do a focus task um, or doing a focus task yourself, those different things. It creates this kind of trigger or tingle for people. And uh, tingle, tingle is definitely a word that they use in that community. Um, for me, it definitely, it makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand. Um, it'll make me just feel a certain way. And the great thing about it is if I'm feeling very anxious, that kind of sensation, that kind of reaction will bring me down a little bit in the anxiety. So, it won't get rid of it completely, but that combined with the other um, relief channels um, can really help. So, if you've never heard of ASMR, a lot of people will think it's really creepy and strange, um, especially when you've got people randomly whispering on YouTube into videos or tapping objects and playing with acrylic nails and all these other random things that can be really soothing for those who get it um and look to be honest there's even been a subculture that have turned it into a really creepy sexual thing totally not that vibe for me um and i think that's what people that don't get affected by or don't know much about it will think about it but for me it definitely really um helps so and i know there's probably gonna be some people that listen to this and go oh god here we go asmr but either way whether you like it or not it's definitely been helping me a lot so um i can definitely give it a lot of props so yeah, hopefully some of that gives any tips for people who might be kind of dealing with anxiety, whether it's a fresh thing for you, whether you've been dealing with it for a while and you haven't already considered these options. Hopefully that might give you some insight, but if anything, it just gives you an insight into me. So, if you, you know me in person um, or you ever get to meet me in person and you see me suddenly with earphones in the corner or you see me grabbing out a lemon lozenge um, or, you know, rubbing on peppermint oil, you know what's going on. So, um, yeah, otherwise, uh, on to the next segment. All right. I think it's time to see if you're awake still. Hopefully you are. Um, this last part of the, the, the podcast episode is, I guess, just other ways that you can kind of uh, promote your wellness. Um, and as I said earlier, disclaimers and everything else, this is not coming from a professional. This is not suggesting that this is going to solve every problem that you could potentially have. Um, these are not overly, ov these are pretty obvious things and they're not overly um they're not like medicinal cures or anything like that. So, please don't take it like that. Um, and to be honest, this is just me having done research. It is just whether it was research for myself, whether it was just to kind of learn more about what you can do. That's kind of what this has been about. And that's why I wanted to do this episode because it's all fresh in my mind. I'm feeling very um, engaged with the suggestions and stuff like that. I'll go through them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time expanding on each one. I think it's just going to be some of them will be more self-explanatory than others. Um but there are a couple that I do think need a bit of explanation. So, I'll kind of go through those as we do. So, the first thing is maintaining your relationship. So, 
this is going to, I think, more if you're going through stuff um, rather than to prevent you going through stuff. If you're going through stuff and I think for a lot of people, especially with like things like anxiety and depression and anything else that kind of is similar, a lot of people like myself, admittedly, sometimes have the tendency to pull back from people. You kind of retreat and um, admittedly, and for anyone that's listening, that's been part of my life for a long time. If, you know, we potentially haven't seen each other a lot in the years face to face or hasn't been a lot of communication with us or whatever, it could be potentially because I've gone through those times where I've pulled back and then it's gone on for so long that and not so much because of the person. It's never been about the people that I'm friends with because they wouldn't be in my life otherwise um, at all. Um, but where I might pull back and I might not be as communicative as social or there might be an event that I get invited to and I won't go to that one for whatever reason and whether it's a real reason or not. Um, and this is very, very honest of me because, you know, it's not something I necessarily would love to admit to, but if it's happened in those cases and then I find after a period of time, I haven't been as social and interactive with those people. So, that kind of flails and then I don't end up spending time with those people. And I've got some great friends in my life that I still have on the socials and there's still some, you know, basic communication and stuff and people I've lived with even. And um, my kind of tendency has been uh, because I've had some, you know, not so great times in the last few years, um, last handful of years. In those moments, I'll pull back. But because then after I come out of it on the other side, so much time has passed that I don't know the right way to kind of re-engage. Um, and it's it's not exactly a positive thing by any means. Definitely not. So, for any of you friends out there that, you know, I might not have been as uh, communicative with or, you know, might not have seen you a lot over the last handful of years, even though we might have lived together or might have spent a lot of time together regularly, um, just know that this is totally not a reflection on the friendship or the people that, you know, that you are or the way things have been. And it's never been because of a particular event. It's probably more on me about what's been going on in my life and stuff. So, um, so the idea is to maintain your relationships. Um, and I think that's a really positive thing to suggest because- if you keep those relationships while you're going through the hard stuff, you won't have situations like I've had where you do pull back. Um, it can happen. Um, so, try and consider that. Just let people know I'm going through something, but I still want to maintain this connection or this friendship or this relationship. Because ignoring the people that love you and care for you and stuff like that um, obviously can have very debilitating effects for everyone involved. So, might be actually a way around it. Now, in terms of the next one, um, I think the next two are pretty self-explanatory. It's really suggesting getting more exercise and getting a really good sleep. Um, so, both of those have varying benefits as to, you know, getting the exercise, you know, all the kind of chemicals that are happening in the body to kind of boost your mood. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, a marathon run. It doesn't have to be a 10-hour gym session. It could just be a, a half an hour walk down the street. It could just be, you know, moving around a bit. It's just getting your body moving. And I could definitely stand to do that a lot more uh, for anyone that knows me these days. So I've definitely plumped out a bit more than I'd like, um, which sometimes creates some anxiety or concern. But yeah, so definitely consider that and getting a great sleep. I mean, I'm again needing to preach, practice what I'm preaching, but the power of a great sleep, um, you'd be surprised how healing that can be. So, I mean, there's so many studies and links to not getting enough sleep leading to things like obesity and all these other random afflictions. So, Definitely one to consider and definitely one that I need to practice myself. The next one is doing uh, kind things for others, um, you know, doing general acts of kindness. And this is something I looked up uh, and I was so fascinated by it. There's um, There's been studies even. Um, I know there was a university, I think it was in Canada or America, I can't remember now, uh, wherever it's from. Um, they were doing a study on individuals and just testing them over a period of a month or so and getting them on a weekly basis to do X amount of kind acts. So just general things, checking in on a friend, um, you know, picking things up for people, um, you know, saying nice things to people, whatever it might be. 
And they were getting them to do this in a period of time and they were measuring their kind of happiness responses over the period of time. And it was basically, I think it was like their happiness levels tripled. And I'm not doing a fact check here. I'm not going to go look online and try and find out the answers because if you want that research, you can totally find it online. Um, But basically, whatever it was, it was like their happiness levels tripled and it was just getting better and better each week. And it is, it's it's, it's definitely something to, to take note of because you think about those times, if you've ever done something kind for someone, whether it's helping someone move house or whether it's, um, you know, uh, you see somebody fall over, you go and help them or whatever it is, those things, you'd be surprised the kind of, um, again, chemical thing that can happen inside of you to make you feel better. And I mean, obviously doing altruistic things for others to feel better probably sounds selfish, but hey, if you're doing something nice for somebody else, who cares what the motivation is? Um, as long as you're not doing it for nefarious means to try and get an edge on something, um, if you're doing it just generally because you want to feel good, what's wrong with that? So, if you think about the COVID situation, I mean, a lot of people probably feel very isolated being at home, um, you know, socially distant, all these other things that are going on. There's a lot of people in the world, unlike me, but a lot of people in the world who crave that social energy. I mean, I know a handful of people that have cited that they they need things to do and they need to feel busy and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so, check in on people. Let them know. And I mean, nowadays that we're um, starting to see more restrictions lifting and stuff like that, which- I'm not always excited about because I think, you know, we probably should be a bit more careful, but use those moments if you've got them, go for a walk with someone, you know, pop into somebody's house and have, you know, a meal with them or a coffee with them, obviously distance. Um, My advice is to socially distance as much as you can sit on different couches, but yeah, look out for people. And I mean, I've got a handful of people that I'm definitely looking to, to reach out to in the shorter term because I know that they've been struggling with this and I'm definitely keen to do that because doing that for them is going to do that for me as well. Something that I've kind of done in the past, but not a lot of, is um, the idea of journaling or writing down your your issues, your feelings, that kind of stuff. Um, it's going to kind of lead into the next one. So, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. But yeah, journaling, keeping an eye on things, writing down how you're feeling. Because that way you can go back and kind of reassess it. And um, if you are seeking help, which is another suggestion I'll come up with later. Um, but if you're seeking help, it gives you something to kind of bring with you to the table and say, look, I've been journaling for the last you know, six weeks or whatever it is. And here's how I've been feeling. These are the moments that hit the hardest. This is the reasons why it can really help. So having that recollection, because if you're going through it at the time, who's to say your memory is going to be any good. So the next one was very interesting. And this is why I wanted to give it a bit more time on um, discussion, but the idea of setting worry time and writing worry lists. And yeah, that's right. Setting some time to worry. So the idea was, and it's a, from my understanding, it's a CBT or a cognitive behavior therapy tool, uh, which I'm keen to learn on if that comes up in my um, counseling uh, diploma. But um, it's in the easiest way to explain it, because I'm probably not going to explain it fully well. But the idea is we worry. We're a human. As humans, we have the tendency to worry. We potentially do anyway. And in the moment that we do it, we usually will punish ourselves for it or we'll chastise ourselves for having a moment of worry. So we'll be like, don't worry about that. You know, don't be an idiot. Don't stress. Don't do this. The idea is to actually set yourself the ability to let yourself worry, but in controlled manners. So the idea is you start with writing worry lists. Um, So, for example, at the moment, my biggest worry at the moment was catching public transport. Catching public transport is going to potentially lead to me catching COVID. Me catching COVID is potentially going to mean I'm going to need to go get the test. Getting the test means that someone's going to have to shove a swab down the back of my throat. Shoving a swab down the back of my throat is going to trigger my gag reflex, therefore it's going to trigger my vomit phobia, therefore giving me anxiety. So these are my worries. And I haven't actually applied this technique, but it's something I probably will do. So you write down your worries and you write them in the moment they're happening. So even if you don't want to set your worry time for now, write them down on a piece of paper, in a in your iPad, in your phone, whatever you're doing. And then what you do is you book time for yourself. You say, okay, Friday 
eight o'clock, I'm going to do a worry time, 10 minutes on the clock. You get into that worry time and that's when you look at your list and you actually allow yourself to freak out, catastrophize, have a cry, have a panic, you know, run around the house and freak out. Whatever it is that you do in your moment when you're having your worry, let yourself experience those emotions. Now, I want to be careful with that suggestion because for those of those people who have genuine anxiety problems, depression problems, and things like that with their mental health, um, I don't know how much worry time is suggested for those um, those issues. Um, so I don't necessarily want to tell you to catastrophize things if that's one of your actual real problems that you're having with a professional situation. Um, so like I said, I'm not going to advise that. I'm definitely not a counselor yet or anything like that, but that's just something that I found very interesting for people who might be going through, you know, worries, whether they're superficial or not. Um, So yeah, like I said, do your research. If you're going to start applying these things, definitely do your research, look online, find the right resources, speak to the right people um, before you start to really implement something into your your sort of routines. Hobbies, uh, definitely pick up a hobby, um, whether it's, you know, something craft related, whether it's a sport, whether it's a game, whether it's anything like that, do something that's going to make you feel engaged. And it's kind of leads to that whole anxiety, finding things to distract yourself. They do help. Like my hobbies are video games, singing, driving. I love a good drive. I love to walk, all those different things. I love applying those when I'm feeling a bit off. I love a good drive. Like I, that's why the isolation was kind of killing for me. I really wanted to just go for like a two hour drive. The next one is um, diet, exercise, or well, exercise and diet, obviously the same kind of um, category, but um, diet and avoiding drugs and alcohol where you can, if you're going through something, obviously. I mean, I I don't need to explain those in a great detail. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious for a lot of people that your diet can really affect your mood and stuff. So, yeah, I think that doesn't need a lot. Um, The suggestion to get sunlight, Um, get out there and get some vitamin D, get some sunlight. Um, And I say vitamin D and I think of an inappropriate joke here. But anyway, get some vitamin D, get some sunlight. You know, I'm not going to say I'm not going to go all Pete Evans here and uh, try and give you suggestions that's going to cure cancer or anything like that. It's definitely not going to do that. But you know, you'd be surprised getting out in nature, getting out in the air. Um, like we've been talking about it at work this week, how it's been a bit of a struggle, just, you know, going back to a closed office environment where you've got no natural light facing you. Um, and we all miss being at home, being able to see our light and being able to see our windows and a light breeze. It's no surprise. I mean, you get beautiful sunlight, you get beautiful air. It can help a lot. So if you've got the option to do it, definitely. Mindfulness meditation, I'm not going to talk about that at all now. I'd like to actually do a session on that because I've actually done a course on that when I was at my old workplace and I'd like to talk about that in a lot more detail. But mindfulness meditation meditation is kind of like the distraction therapy in a way. It's to to train your brain to think, think on concentrated thought. If you pull away from it, bring yourself to concentrated thought and it's a way of breathing and meditating and talking to yourself in a way, like thinking through things. Um, so I'll go through that in a bit more detail because I'd like to actually do a full unpack of that in a different episode. Um, seek help is obvious. I think that's um, a pretty obvious one, but it's also really hard to apply if you're going through something really hard. So seek help with the loved ones that you've got in your life. Speak to a professional. Uh, I'm going to post some resources on the podcast um, show notes. I'm also going to do it on my socials just in case anybody needs that the support. Places like Beyond Blue, um, Lifeline, like all those different places. Headspace in Australia. So Headspace, I think it's headspace.org.au. Um, again, we'll have the websites on there for you. Um, these places are designed to support people. So definitely lean on them. And I speak to the men out there because um, it's definitely something that cripples um men a lot in terms of mental health and speaking about your feelings and seeking help. Um, you know, a lot of the women in my life have had no problem with that. And I'm so glad for that. Um, but I know a lot of men in my life that tend to close off, shut down, especially men of a certain age, you know, aren't feeling, giving themselves permission to feel that it's okay 
not to feel okay and not to talk about it and stuff like that. So I appeal to the men out there as well, especially if you are in a certain way, feeling like you need support and you don't know the right way to do it, go online, get go call one of those services, go anonymous if you have to. That way you don't have to feel like you're, you know, um, in your image that you're giving to people that you're going to be lesser of yourself. Speak to a professional that's anonymous. These services don't have to be, you know, expensive. You can go through those Beyond Blue or those sort of sites, get that free support to start with, and they can lead you into the right directions. But again, all the information will be on my socials and everything. So keep an eye out for those if you do need them. Um, and there's a lot of apps and stuff like that, like Smiling Mind for Mindfulness. There's a Headspace app in America that's a bit to be confused with the Australian website, but there's a lot of apps about mindfulness and seeking help and stuff like that as well. Now, the final, um, the final one I wanted to talk about, because this is something I actually brought up as a piece of advice for um, a friend um, recently, and it was something that I had to remind myself of that I had to use at some point when I was going through something. And again, not something it's not something I personally um, researched. It was something I just kind of thought to myself and it kind of worked for me. And I'm sure it is online somewhere. I'm sure there's probably people that have suggested this. But if you're feeling in a moment where, I don't know, you're feeling a bit lost, you're either anxious, you're either depressed, you're- or Um, a precursor to depression or anything like that, you're feeling sad, you're feeling miserable, or you're just feeling lost. And in those moments, it can be hard. And I've experienced this. It can be really hard to just feel like you're getting through the day. Like you you kind of wake up, you do what you got to do, but you just feel sluggish. You feel like you're just not going to cope. You just don't want to do anything. And you just feel completely out of it. My advice with those situations is or one of my suggestions, I should say, not my advice per se, um, is to celebrate the small things. Um, celebrate the little wins of the day. Um, like if you manage to get out of bed for the day, celebrate. Just go, you know what? I got out of bed today. You know, if you, those people who are working from home or who have worked from home or have been in ISO um, isolation, you know, I had a shower this morning. I made breakfast. I changed into non-pajamas, even though admittedly I loved being in bed clothes for most of the day. But yeah, I got out of my bed clothes. Um, you know, I put the I put the bins out tonight. I cooked a meal. Whatever it is, the little things that you can do to get yourself through the day. And the idea is if you celebrate enough of those, well, at least in my ex- um, experience, you celebrate the little things and you give yourself permission to actually be happy that you got through those things. It makes doing more monumental things through the day. So if you've got a work commitment that you've got to get through, or if you've got, you know, you've got to be social and do something and you've got to get through that. By celebrating those smaller wins, you're kind of gearing yourself up to be able to then celebrate the bigger things as you get those things done as well. Um, and it's kind of builds an incentive. It's kind of like, well, hey, I'm doing so well today. I did you know all of these things that I needed to achieve and now I'm going to do the next thing I need to do. It's not going to work in every situation, I'm sure. I'm not here to, to pontificate and say that you know this is going to be a solution for everyone. But it's definitely helped me and I think it's, um, it's a pretty cool suggestion um, anyway. I mean, I'm just going to blow smoke up my own chimney. But yeah, I think it's a really, really um, interesting one. Think about it and see what works for you. Now, this is where the interaction kind of kicks in. Um, I want to hear from you if you are willing to engage with the um, the podcast in some way, whether it's through my email address, which again, I'll post on the socials. Um, if it's through sending me a DM in the post um, or a comment in one of the um, social posts, send me some info. Let me know what you do, either what is it that you kind of go through? You know, I, I'm not expecting people to you know, pour their hearts out if they're not comfortable with, obviously, you know, you keep you know, any information you need to keep for yourself, um, but whatever you want to share, let us know what you're going through. Let us know what it is that you do to try and combat those things. If there is anything that you do, it's kind of like your own personal remedy um, and what you do to try and safeguard from it. What kind of things are you doing in kind of um, preservation mode? Love to hear from you. And maybe we can do kind of a deep dive or a follow up on this um, episode later on. So 
With all that being said, yeah, just take care of yourselves. Take care of everyone around you if you can, if you've got the capacity to do so. And just know that, you know, people like myself, we see you, we hear you. And, you know, we want to we want to keep conversations going about this stuff. It's it's nobody should be alone. So definitely speak up when you need to, um, you know. I'm sure there's a lot of people around you that love you and care for you and want to kind of help you through things. Anyway, well, that's that's me for another episode. As I said, follow the socials, get in touch with everything. Please share um, share and subscribe and connect to all the different socials and stuff and uh, keep an eye on the podcast. Um, it's not going to all be these sort of topics every week. There's going to be some fun ones coming up in the next few episodes. So, you know, it's not going to all be doom and gloom. But uh, thank you very much for listening. Your support, again, is very appreciated. And uh, this is Shane signing out. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Shenanigans Podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. For more information or to get in touch, please use any of the social media handles attached to this podcast. This is Shane, signing out.